Welcome to The Word for Today, featuring the Bible teaching of Pastor Chuck Smith, founder of the Calvary Chapel Movement. This radio program is a verse-by-verse study through the entire Bible. And on today's edition of The Word for Today, Pastor Chuck continues with Death of the Northern Kingdom, as we pick up in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor Chuck. Kings chapter 17. In the 17th chapter, we come to the death of the northern kingdom, the nation of Israel. In the 12th year, when Ahaz was the king in Judah, that's the king of the southern kingdom, Hoshea began to reign in Samaria over Israel. He reigned for nine years. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so, unfortunately, Israel did not have one single king of which it was not testified that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Not one king of Israel followed after the Lord from the very beginning of Jeroboam when the kingdom was divided into the northern and southern kingdom. From Jeroboam onward, all of the kings did evil in the sight of the Lord. It is interesting that as the king goes, so went the nations so often. And the nations following after God or turning from God was largely dependent upon the influence of the king. And so the Assyrians came up against them, Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria, and Hoshea became a servant, he began to pay tribute unto Shalmaneser. But the king of Assyria found them conspiring, for they had sent to the king of Egypt for help. They had taken the money that they were supposed to send for tribute, and they sent it to the king of Egypt to hire mercenaries to come and to fight against Assyria. So the Assyrians came again, and they circled the city, And they captured it and they bound him up and placed him in prison after sieging Samaria for three years. And in the ninth year of Hoshea, the king of Assyria took Samaria and carried Israel away to Assyria and placed them in Hala, in Habar, by the river Gozan, and the city of the Medes. Now God begins to enumerate his indictment against Israel and lists the reasons why Israel, a once great and powerful nation, the people who were once known as the people of God and have been a strong and powerful nation, but God lists his indictment against them, the reasons why they became weak, the reasons why they were defeated, and fell to their enemies. And so it was that the children of Israel had sinned against the Lord their God, which had brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of the Pharaoh, and they feared other gods. The first indictment is their failure to be what God wanted them to be, the missing of the mark. They sinned against the Lord. And they served, they began to reverence and worship and serve other gods. This was caused partially by a misinterpreting of their history. 
They failed to realize that it was God that made them great. It was their relationship to God that made them strong. It was God who brought them out of Egypt. It was God who brought them through the wilderness. It was God who brought them in the land. It was God who caused them to possess the land and to defeat their enemies. But they began to misinterpret their history and they began to attribute their greatness and their victories to other things, to other gods. They built the golden calf, two of them, set one in Dan and one in uh, Bethel and the king said these are the gods that brought you out of Israel and they began to forsake the true and the living God and worship the gods that they had made with their own hands now a man has to worship something it's just innate within us I've got to worship something there is a void within that I am seeking to fill it is a spiritual void I've got to fill it with something. And if I don't fill it with the true and the living God, I'm going to fill it with garbage, the garbage of nonsense. I will, as the humanistic philosophy says today, I will take my leap of faith. I must take the leap of faith. For they say the lower story of reality is only despair and man can't live in despair. So man must take the leap of faith into the upper story of a non-reasoned religious experience. And the world today is filled with non-reasoned religious experiences. I read in the Reader's Digest of this Scientology and how the whole thing started. Some guy was a writer and he was writing for a penny a word. And he said, writing for a penny a word, you'll never make any money. And so he said, the only way to make money is to develop a new religion. And so he developed Scientology with the purpose of making himself wealthy. And he succeeded because there's a bunch of people who are willing to let their minds be bent to become the robots and the merchandisers for these purveyors of ignorance and Dianetics and all of these kind of things and his supposed stories and all. And Reader's Digest really has quite an article on the background and all of Scientology, you might find it, I did, very, very fascinating indeed, but it only helps point up how when man forsakes the true and the living God, he is an open sucker for anything that'll come along. He'll believe in stupidity. He'll believe in nothing. He'll worship and serve the creature more than the creator. He begins to worship his body needs and body appetites and the fulfillment thereof. And so the children of Israel sinned against the Lord. They turned from God, but they sought to fill the void in the worship of the other gods. They misinterpreted their history and they began to attribute the greatness to characteristics of their own uh, nationality. We're tough people. We're hardy people. We're smart people. We have a democratic system of government. We have a free enterprise system. This is what makes a nation great. This is what makes the nation strong. And we begin to uh, attribute the greatness and the strength to these other things rather than to the fact that we were a nation founded in God and that God was the strength because God was the heart of the nation and thus there was strength because of the moral strength that was in the heart of the nation because the people worshipped and served God. But when the planks that hold the people 
and a nation together. When these moral planks begin to decay and begin to rot, then the nation surely cannot stand much longer. And the planks have become so rotten, the moral decay had become so great in Israel that the nation could no longer stand. And so the children of Israel did secretly those things which were not right in the eyes of God. They built the high places in the cities and the towers in order to worship the strange gods. They set up images and they burned incense in all the high places until the Lord carried them away captive. They served the idols whereof the Lord said you should not do this thing. The Lord testified against them. He sent his prophets unto them to warn them, but they failed to listen to the prophets of God. They did not hearken to the servants. The prophets said, turn you from your evil ways. Keep God's commandments and statutes. But they would not hear. They hardened their necks like the necks of their fathers that did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenants that he had made with their fathers and the testimonies which he had testified against them. And they followed vanity and became vain. That is always the effect of following vanity. You become vain. The word vanity is emptiness. Following emptiness, you become empty. Now, it is interesting that people today are following after emptiness in their pursuit of happiness. It seems that the goal of man today is to be happy. And we all have in our own minds that mental concept of what it will take to make me happy. Happiness is. You know, and each of you can finish that sentence yourself because each of you have in your mind that which you think it would take to make you happy. Happiness is a million dollars in the bank. The bank may fold tomorrow. Happiness is a yacht. Happiness is a house on Lido Island. Happiness is, you know. Happiness is an experience that results from a right relationship with God. The rest is the pursuit of happiness. But in our pursuit, we are oftentimes pursuing after things that in themselves are empty and unfulfilling. They may bring us moments of excitement and moments of pleasure, moments of joy, but no true lasting happiness. Through my mind races the college years and all of the things that we used to do for excitement and to have an exciting evening and I would hate to share them because <laughs> some young kids might get things in their mind they hadn't thought of before. <laughs> we used to grease the streetcar tracks at an incline <laughs> and just sit on, a, sit on the side and just laugh and roll as the thing just was there spinning its wheels, you know. I only say that because the kids don't have streetcars anymore. <laughs> when it's parked downtown, just run up behind it and pull the thing off the wire, you know. Hear the bell ringing and the lights go out in the streetcar and all that. And 
you just, you know, run up the street, they can't do anything, and you just laugh, and it's a big joke, you know. Oh, it was fun, but the next night you're looking for something else. You know, it doesn't last. It's good for 10, 15 minutes, but there's nothing lasting to it. The pursuit of the world, following after emptiness, they become empty. And they went after the heathen that were round about them, concerning whom the Lord charged them, you should not do like them. Now, here is one thing that we've got to be careful about because there is strong pressure today for us to do exactly this, to do like the world around us. Today, the world around us is governed by a humanistic philosophy which declares that there is nothing really evil or wrong in and of itself. For there is no absolute good or bad. It is all relative to your culture, to your background, to the area that, where you live, to the mores of the society. And the mores are always that which determines what is right and what is wrong within a society. And so the sociologists point to the mores of the New Guinea culture or the mores of some South American Indian tribe or the mores of, of the Eskimos and so forth. And, and they, they can prove that any kind of a relationship is accepted and is good in particular society. So it all depends upon your society whether or not a relationship is right or wrong wrong. There are absolutes as far as morals are concerned. God has laid down the absolutes, but the men of Israel, the people of Israel, had made the mistake of following the mores of the society around them, and following the, mor the mores of that society, they became corrupted before God, and being corrupted before God, they were destroyed. And the greatness and the strength of the nation was sapped and they became weak morally, weak spiritually. And then it only followed that they were to be destroyed as a nation for the true strength of any nation lies in the moral planks upon which that nation stands. God sent his servants, the prophets. They cried out against the way the people were living but they were accused of being bigoted, narrow-minded, old-fashioned, prudent. And the people would not hearken. And thus the nation fell. Now God had given them other warnings. God had allowed them to fall really in the battle even against small nations, not totally defeated. But they were once ruling over Moab, and the Moabites rebelled against them. The Moabites were not a big people. They were not a strong people. They were just a little nation. But Israel had become so weak, they could not subdue Moab and bring it back under their control. And seeing that Moab had made a successful incursion against them, then the Edomites decided to rebel from their control. And the other small nations, one by one, seeing and being encouraged by the weakness of Israel, began to pick 
on Israel, began to battle against them, and they were unable to win a decisive victory over them. And even then, they didn't recognize their weakness. Even then, they, they were deceived as Samson, who once his hair was cut off and his vow before God was broken, knew not that he was weak as other men. And when Delilah said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, he said, I will shake myself as at other times and go out against him. And he did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. And he fell before the hands of the Philistines because without the power of God's Spirit, he was weak just like anybody else. And without God, our nation is weak just like anybody else. And our nation has turned from God. We have turned from actually having God at the heart and the center of our national life. And though we still print on the coins in God we trust, it seems almost a travesty. And though the Bible was the first textbook and the only textbook in the first public school in America, Yet, now because of the decisions of the Supreme Court, we cannot even have a Bible class in a public schoolroom that the children can attend at their own discretion. Nor can there be public prayers offered within the schoolroom. Of course, the kids violate that every time a test comes along. <laughs> the nation has become weak. And now the little nations are beginning to pick on us. And so the death of a nation, it's always sad, it's always tragic to see a nation that was once strong, once mighty, once glorious, to see it die, to watch it in its agony of death, to stand helplessly by and know there's nothing you can do, we see our nation today in the agony of death. The same conditions that prevailed in Israel prevail in our nation today. We have turned our backs upon God. We have made materialism, pleasure, intellectual pursuits, the master passions of our lives. And we've turned from the true and the living God and we become weak. We fail to realize that it was God that made us strong, that it was God's grace that was shed upon us that made us a mighty nation. And we've begun to attribute the greatness to other things and to declare the praises of the free enterprise system or of the democratic system of government and all rather than to praise and thank God for his strength and what he has done. And so, God gives his indictment against them. And in verse 23, he concludes, Until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight, as he had said by his servants the prophets, so was Israel carried away out of their own land to Assyria unto this day. 721 B.C., the northern kingdom fell to Assyria. And the king of Assyria had a practice of taking the people, all of them out of the land, and taking them to other places, scattering them 
and thus was the, the practice of the Assyrians, so subduing their enemies that there is no recovering from it as they repopulate them into other areas where they have no chance of getting together and forming uh, a uh, united kind of a rebellion against what has happened to them. And uh, so thus happened with the nation Israel by Assyria, and they became scattered, the ten tribes of the northern kingdom. Now, the Assyrians then took other nations that they had conquered, and they brought the people from those other nations, and they established them in this strange area to them, the area of Samaria. Totally uprooted them, brought them into an area that they were totally unfamiliar with, and they set them in the area of Samaria. And so it was when they, these other people first began to dwell in the land of Samaria, the land of Israel there, the northern part, that they feared not the Lord. Therefore the Lord sent lions among them and began to destroy the people. And so they came to the king of Assyria and they said, Hey, we don't understand the ways of the gods of the land. We'll continue with more of our verse-by-verse Bible study in the book of 2 Kings on our next broadcast. As Pastor Chuck continues to teach through the Bible, and we do hope you'll make plans to join us. But right now, if you'd like to order a copy of today's message, simply order 2 Kings 17 when visiting thewordfortoday.org. And while you're there, be sure to browse the many additional biblical resources by Pastor Chuck. You can also subscribe to the Word for Today podcast or sign up for our email subscription. Once again, that's thewordfortoday.org. For those of you wishing to call, our toll-free number is 1-800-272-WORD, and our office hours are Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Again, that's 1-800-272-9673. If you prefer to write, our mailing address is The Word for Today, P.O. Box 8000, Costa Mesa, California, 92628. And now, on behalf of the Word for Today, we'd like to thank all of you who share in supporting this ministry with your prayers and financial support. And be sure to join us again next time as Pastor Chuck continues his verse-by-verse study through the Bible. That's right here on the next edition of The Word for Today. And now, once again, here's Pastor Chuck. Now may the Lord be with you, and may the Lord watch over you and keep you in His love, in His grace. May the Lord cause you to abound in every good work for Jesus Christ. And may the Lord grant to you new dimensions of relationship with Him, that you might become more keenly aware of His presence with you and His power to help you. May God bless you. May you have just a fruitful, blessed week walking with Jesus Christ. This program has been sponsored by Calvary Chapel of Costa Mesa, California. As Easter is approaching, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is on the hearts of Christians everywhere and how they might witness this beautiful story to their loved ones. With this in mind, The Word for Today would like to present a special MP3 entitled My Redeemer Lives that includes 14 reassuring messages to answer the significance of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ 
and a life that should bring hope to everyone. Also included is a special presentation of the crucifixion from a doctor's perspective, as well as a powerful salvation message shared by Pastor Chuck. And when you order My Redeemer Lives MP3, we'll include a free CD by Pastor Chuck to witness to your loved ones that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. This CD, entitled A Risen Love, clearly presents the evidence to help others make a decision that will impact their immediate and eternal future. For more information, contact The Word for Today at 800-272-9673 or visit us online at thewordfortoday.org.